the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back. Happy December 17th, 2020. I've been thinking a lot about the Bill of Rights and constitutionalism this week for two reasons. Of course, first, we had Bill of Rights Day earlier this week. And second, if I can paraphrase Abraham Lincoln, the potential of a Donald Trump second term has become increasingly elusive as the courts have left no prying instrument with him one after another. They have closed the heavy iron doors upon him, and now they have him, as it were, bolted in with a lock of a hundred keys, which can never be unlocked without the concurrence of every key. The keys in the hands of a hundred different men, and they scattered to a hundred different and distant places, and they stand musing as to what invention and all the dominions of mind and matter can be produced to make the impossibility of a second Trump term more complete than it is. So as we observe this, our loins need to be girded for three fights, two retail and one wholesale. First, the retail. As identified at Issues and Insights, a Biden presidency will try to raise taxes, put even more health care into the hands of government, roll back Trump's deregulation achievements, outlaw gasoline automobiles and replace them with electric vehicles, steal outright millions of American jobs, inflict a job and business-killing $15-an-hour minimum wage, pursue foolish, needless America-defeating environmental policies such as fracking bans and re-engagement with the Paris Climate Con that Trump wisely withdrew the country from, unwrap Trump's progress in the Middle East, which includes several peace agreements no one else could accomplish, and a tough line against the Iranian regime that now has the mullahs on the defensive, Surrender to the Antifa and BLM zealots who want to destabilize the country as part of his agenda to transform the country. Curb the First and Second Amendments and probably ban plastic consumer conveniences as well. Are we prepared to fight all that and make good arguments justifying those fights? Second, still retail. We'd better damn sure do everything we can to save the Senate. And that fight is in Georgia right now. And that fight has two merits to it, really two imperatives. First, to stop all of the above, and once done, to see how a President Biden will try to accomplish the foregoing via executive orders. You know, the old pen that Barack Obama used. For you see, the only way to stop executive orders is the way the left tried to stop several of Donald Trump's via the federal courts. The federal courts mean federal judges, and the Senate confirms or sidelines federal judges. The Senate is just that important. First save the country, and to do that, we have to first save the courts. It's a funny thing to have to contemplate or say such a thing in a country governed by a constitution and its Bill of Rights, but these things are clearly not self-enforcing. Citizens, their choices, their actions, their votes, they are what animate the Constitution, give it life or give it death. And their choices and their actions are themselves animated by thoughts and beliefs. 
beliefs. And right now it seems too many have wrongheaded views about our Constitution, as much as an unfamiliarity with the notion of just plain old constitutionalism. That is the wholesale part, duty of conservatism just now, it seems to me. It wasn't always like this. The absence of constitutionalism is the legacy of progressivism, the progressive movement. Professor Bradley Watson puts it this way, the the progressive idea, simply put, is that the principled American constitutionalism of fixed natural rights and limited and dispersed powers must be overturned and replaced by an organic, evolutionary model of the Constitution that facilitates the authority of experts dedicated to the expansion of the public sphere and public control, especially at the national level. This fundamental idea opens into five major applications. One, that there are no fixed or eternal principles that should govern us. Two, that the state and its component parts are organic and involved in a struggle for never-ending growth. Three, that democratic openness and experimentalism are the fertilizer of the organic state. Four, that the state and its components exist only in history with a large H. And five, that some individuals stand outside this process, an elite class possessed of intelligence as a method who provide the messianic leadership needed to move the process smoothly along. The ever-expanding Leviathan, or even just the increased number of powers given to the federal government, are exactly the opposite of our founding sentiment, which in the words of Harry Jaffa, who put, put it this way, our founding was designed to limit the ends of government while at the same time expanding the rights of man. That was the genius of our Declaration and Constitution. Men were equal and entitled to a life of liberty and pursuit of happiness. Government was designed to secure the blessings of liberty, not of government, as the Constitution's preamble states. Limit the ends of government, but give man or mankind the freedom to reach his God-given potential and reach. You can have one or the other, as in Dennis Prager's educating phrase, the bigger the government, the smaller the man, or the smaller the citizen. Both parties ignore all this by ignoring constitutionalism, one worse than the other. To wit, take the most well-respected conservative legal scholar and hero from roughly 2004 to 2012, John Roberts, the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court. In the opinion he wrote upholding the constitutionality of Obamacare, he wrote literally that it was the job of the court to make sense of and to save, where possible, the law enacted by Congress. He wrote, in his opinion, quote, every reasonable construction must be restored, resorted to, every reasonable construction must be resorted to in order to save a statute from unconstitutionality, close quote. This is exactly not what our founders believed or wrote, indeed is the opposite of what Alexander wrote, Alexander Hamilton wrote in Federalist 78, where he wrote, quote, it can be of no weight to say the courts on the pretense of repugnancy may substitute their own pleasure to the constitutional intentions of the legislature, close quote. What Hamilton is saying is that the court cannot substitute its judgment for the legislature's. He continues, quote, if then the courts of justice are to be considered as the bulwarks of a limited constitution against legislative encroachments, this consideration will afford a strong argument for the permanent tenure of judicial offices, since nothing will contribute so much as this 
to the independent spirit in the judges, which must, must be essential to the faithful performance of so arduous a duty, close quote. The point is not that the courts are here to protect us from bad policy. They are, in fact, not here, not here for that reason. They are here to protect us from bad legislation, and legislation is bad when it is unconstitutional, when it violates the original understandings of what a national legislature was meant to legislate on in the confines of the Constitution. Yes, Obamacare is bad policy. Note how costs and taxes went up. And despite promises from President Obama, we all would, in fact, not be able to keep the insurance we wanted and the doctor we liked. But note more, the main point, it forces people to buy a commodity, a plan, and product that they may not want. It forces it. And until Donald Trump, it forced it through, of all places, the IRS. By the way, let me say something in passing. If you want to talk lies of public policy consequence, nobody told more whoppers of more consequence than Barack Obama about keeping your doctor if you wanted to. That turned out to be a total lie affecting millions. PolitiFact rated it the lie of the year. But, of course, Trump, we're told, is the great liar about nothing that affects anyone. Certainly not their intimate and financial choices over the intimate and financial issues of health care. So the point is this. Until we get back to basic understandings of few and defined and limited powers of control, that's what it is, control of citizens, we will be upside down with our founders and our founding. We will be voiding the very notion of constitutionalism we began this nation with. Voiding the Constitution. Others used to get it, and I wonder if we still do. Our friend Tina in Star Valley puts it this way. We need to get back to a Bill of Rights attitude. But consider the fight. Again, Hamilton's words. We must ensure and secure the bulwarks of a limited constitution against legislative encroachments. It's one thing to venerate Alexander Hamilton through song and dance on Broadway. It's quite another, more difficult perhaps, but more serious and important, to appreciate and honor him for what he actually thought, said, and wrote. It probably won't be a play about James Madison. His views are so rare and few think of him anymore, though his currency is great. And so too must be our relearning. If there is a country and it's a constitution we are trying to save, then the great relearning must begin for ourselves, for our fellow countrymen, and for our prosperity. Pros, posterity. Especially if it's this constitution and not someone else's. I'm Seth Liebson. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. If you're looking for some entertainment that will lift you up and leave you inspired, I want to encourage you to go to SalemNow.com and watch Poor to CEO, the incredible story of Herman Cain. Herman was beloved by all, and his rise from the humblest of beginnings to CEO of Godfather's Pizza is just one heck of a great story. Add to that a presidential run, a victorious battle over cancer, a great career in radio, he was an amazing man, Herman was, whose life embodied the values we really strive to live and pass along to our kids and grandkids and for ourselves, belief in God, the power of personal responsibility, a good education, hard work, living each day with a thankful heart. Porta CEO is really one of the most inspirational, entertaining films of the year, and you can watch it right now at SalemNow.com. That's SalemNow.com. Make sure to use the promo code PHOENIX. 
to save 20%. Watch Porta CEO, the Herman Cain story at SalemNow.com. want to welcome uh, back Chris Llewellyn, my, um, my uh, producer pro tem. I'm, I'm, I'm saying things very carefully today, so that's why I slowed it down, Chris. And I'll tell you why in a moment. It's actually a good story about actually myself, which I don't usually do, but the world will never know unless I say it. Anyway, how are you doing there, Chris? We're doing good, my man. Um, you, you, you've been running a lot lately. You've lost a lot of weight. I've been, I, I started running again, too, a few months back. We probably did about the same time. Yeah. End of September. Yeah, that was when October. I did. Yeah. yeah, end of September, October. Yeah, weather gets nicer, easier to get outside. It was. It was just time to kick off, dust off the shoes, and and and, and start running a little. And um, anyway, uh, you look great, and you're doing Thank great. You, you betcha. Uh, a lot to do today. Andy Biggs coming up. Um, got a great guest from the Heritage Foundation on what's going on in our education curriculum, and of course your calls at six zero two five zero eight. Zero nine six story. You want to hear the funny story about myself? The good story about myself? That's what I was waiting for. You well, the world will never know. So he's an Andy Biggs. Let's get you. All right. I got I got here a little early today, and I saw two of my colleagues who have a lot in common, and they like to talk sports or whatever, and and um, just weird things, abstruse things. And um, I said, "What are you guys talking about?" And they said, oh, something you don't know anything about, Mandalorian. I said, how do you know I don't know anything about it? They said, it's just, it's not the kind of thing you would know something about. I said, well, I know Jeremy Bullock died today. And they said, who? And I said, do you guys know anything about Mandalorian? The original Boba Fett. And they go, the original Boba Fett did not die. I said, okay, look it up. They're thinking of the guy that played. Don't care. Yeah. No, they're thinking of the Boba Fett from the Attack don't, of the Clones. I know don't what you're talking care. about. Don't care. I said the original Boba Fett. Boba Fett. Boba Fett. I, we say Boba here on this side Boba, of the galaxy. Boba. Okay. And one of them said, well, yeah, if I don't know about the original Star Wars 4 and 5. And I said Star Wars 4 and 5 are the originals. They went back and renamed them. And I shut them up. Then I go on my merry way, angry. And um, walked back in a few minutes later, and I said, what are you guys talking about now? And they said, something we know you don't know anything about. We're talking about Darren Waller. And I said, Fats Waller's great-grandson. And they both laughed and said, yeah, right. I said, no, I am right. And they said, I'm not even going to start. I said, would you please look it up? I, of course, knew what I was talking about. I wow. don't just say things. Darren I mean, Waller, for everybody, tight end for the Oakland Raiders. Right. They were talking right. about. Right. Fats Waller, his great-grandfather, great blues jazz musician. And maybe one of the inventors of blues and jazz in America. And uh, they they just, you know what they said to me? He said, are you playing the lottery tonight? So I, this is just, this is what I do. You've all, you know, I've known you for quite a long time now. And I've always played the lottery? No, you is that always, what you were going to say? You've always done this, though. Because but, there is a presumption, and it's a false presumption, Seth, of people will be like, oh, he's not going to know, like, this sport thing or, <laughs> you know, the wrestling jokes. And, I'm but, smarter than I look. For some reason, <laughs> your hand is in a little bit of everything. It's amazing. It's Someone amazing. once said I'm smarter than I look. I don't know if that's true or not. I wish I was that. You're smarter than you look, too. 
It's nice to have you here. Six zero two five zero eight zero nine six zero. There's this. I I wanted to bring this up because I spent so much time on China yesterday in my monologue and elsewhere. Um, Bob Iger, who's the head of the Disney Corporation, um, he's being talked about as the possible U.S. ambassador to China under a Joe Biden administration. You could not have a worse idea. You could not have a worse idea than putting Bob Iger as the U.S. ambassador to China. First of all. Back to last year when the NBA was going through the throes of trying to figure out whether they should stand with communists or stand with protesters in Hong Kong who were standing with the national anthem, trying to sing the national anthem to protest China. Bob Iger was quoted as saying, because he was making a movie in China, what we learned in the last week is how complicated this all is. The biggest learning from that is the caution is imperative. To take a position that could harm our company would be a big mistake. We just shouldn't engage in that in a public manner. You shouldn't engage with people who stand for freedom in a public manner because Disney may lose some money over engaging with a country that uses slave labor. So just not to put too fine a point on it, but I can't get through this without saying it. I'm sorry. Um, When professional athletics tell us that we should take a knee for the national anthem when they engage in in, in the talk about how bad America is and how systemically racist this country is. And I'm particularly looking at, um, at, of course, the NFL, Nike, and and, uh, Colin Kaepernick. And when the NBA starts saying that they can't criticize China and it condemns people in the NBA who do want to stand up for human rights while China is engaged right now, not 155 years ago, right now presently in the imprisonment of over a million minorities and engaging them in slave labor, I have no use for you guys. Your morality is upside down, totally upside down. Well, we have dollars to make. Oh, I wonder what the Southern Confederates were saying when they were trying to justify slavery. Were they not trying to make a buck, too? Uh, And Ben and Jerry's now has a Colin Kaepernick flavor. Did you see this? It's called Changing the World. World is spelled like a homonyme, W-H-I-R-R-L-A-D, so it's kind of cute with his picture on it. I guess the world to Ben and Jerry's and Colin Kaepernick just, you know, prescinds 20% of it, Uh, the almost 2 billion people who live in China. That's not part of the world. It's just not part of the world so sick of these hypocrites all you know first thing they want to do is condemn america for something that ended in half the country not the whole country not even half the country a part of the country 155 years ago we are to be condemned for it today where it exists where it exists right now in china silence bucks to be made censorship and turning ourselves inside out to look away, look away, look away, Dixieland. It's really, it's, it's, they have no moral credibility with me. Not the NBA, not the NFL, not Colin Kaepernick, not Bob Iger, and not an administration or would-be or putative administration that wants to hire him to be in charge of our relations with China. We'll be right back. Can't be in a bad mood when you play this guy. You just can't. There's no such thing as bad news with Huey Lewis. She should have just called it Huey Lewis and the Good News. I'm right. You can't be in a bad... If you're in a bad mood ever, just put on some Huey Lewis. You'll be in a good mood. Do you think the uh, the movie American Psycho, if you ever saw it, that... Did you ever see that movie? 
No. It wouldn't be a good reference. It was, <laughs> it was, well, Christian Bale. Christian Bale. I know who plays, he is, okay, yes. He plays a, sure. like a kind of Wall Street serial killer yeah. and uh, complete psycho. But in it, he has this infamous scene where he takes someone back to his apartment and he goes through the discography of uh, Huey Lewis. And he plays, he's, he's talking about how amazing So maybe I better not suggest, it comes with a psychotic element but to I it. But I wonder if Huey Lewis, to your point, was mad about that. But he to, probably was. He's also, a good guy. To your point, the whole entire scene is him exuberant about uh, Huey Lewis and uh, how it makes him feel. So I'm right again. I think you might ultimately just be right. He's an amazing guy. He started a little later in life, got an 800 in math on his SATs, got admitted to Brown, an Ivy League college. <coughs> really a great guy. John's in Peoria. Hello, John. How are you, sir? Hello, Seth. How are you, sir? I'm doing well because we're playing Huey Lewis. Yeah, Huey Lewis in the news, right? Yes, sir. The good news, yeah. Yeah, he, that's very cool. Circa 80s, right? Uh, yeah, I think he dominated it. He said he he really hit it big with that. Uh, this is beginning to sound the, like the Adam Carolla podcast. He really hit it big <laughs> with that movie Back to the Future, which I want to say yeah. was about 1983 or 4. Yeah, somewhere around there, 85 maybe. Yeah, anyway, go ahead. <laughs> Here's the deal. I'm I'm your John, the uh, Texas Roadhouse. Yes, guy. sir. I know exactly. Yeah. What's the bill of fare today? Where are you headed to eat today? Well, no, I'm headed out to uh, Carefree. I've got a. Oh, there's some great eateries in there. Carefree. There's some great places to eat. Yeah, I know. But here's the deal. I I know you got a a, a segment coming up with the representative big. Yes, uh, sir. I'm going to make a couple of comments, okay. and then you take it from there, my friend. You got it. And. Uh, Go. Here, here's the deal. Look, Josh Hawley, yesterday, right? Was it yesterday or the day before? Yesterday. The yesterday, yeah. Yesterday. Yeah. yeah, and then uh, actually there was a lot of action at that Senate Yes, there was. Because uh, the chairman got uh, got into it with the ranking. Yeah, Ron, Ron Johnson, really, it was a fine moment for him, wasn't it? Yeah. Oh, no, it was actually a fine moment for a couple of our guys. Yeah, there. I thought... Uh, I, I think Josh I, Hawley... I thought Josh Harley was great, and and I thought uh, Rand Paul was great. Oh, well, he's just a decent. They're all decent men, yeah, uh, and good and good men and patriots too. Um, here's the deal. I mean, you had a press, didn't you? Have to press Johnson at one time. Did I what? Or somebody put the, put the full court press on him because. Uh, I don't know that I did. The- I don't know if I did or didn't, but he turned out to be quite a quite a good guy. I think over time. Yeah, I think there was a little coaxing at some. There point may have in time. been. I don't know there may have it. been. Yeah, there may have been. I don't. For him think. to step up to the plate, but he really stepped up yes, to the he plate. Did. And yes, I think uh, yesterday, uh, yesterday, or was it like you said the day before? No, it was yesterday. Yeah, event. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, very, very good crowning event. But here's the deal, and you and I have talked about this. And here comes the untermention thing again. Good. What did Biden's uh, press secretary call us? A word I can't uh, use on air, but yes, we are aware yeah, exactly. of this. Exactly. Yes. So, and remember, we talked with Fork Tongue. Yep. And remember yep. what? And here's what Josh Dolly said. Yep. There's a lot of my constituents. He goes, and they're not wing nuts. I don't. I think he may have used that term. And you know me. I served in our, our served our country in a sensitive position. And I was all, and I'm also a veteran. Yep. And I'm not a wing nut either. And I got a little bit of savvy with regards to uh, uh, certain aspects of uh, sensitive things in our government. And trust me, my friend, I 
believe this election is was stolen. And I do and, and, and Josh Hawley said it, yeah. There's a good portion of people that believe it was truly store, uh, stolen. So don't try to call us wing nuts, and then don't come up with this unity garbage because you guys speak with forked tongues. Yeah, they don't so mean that's it. What I yeah, no, they don't. I'll, no, I'll they throw don't. all of that at Andy. Yeah, I'm sure he'd love to respond to it, John. But Holly yeah, is please. Holly is really one of the stars going forward. I mean, he's a star now, but he's going to be a bright and shining star going forward. Really, someone to watch. Um, Look, uh, last poll I saw had forty per- between thirty-five and forty percent of the American population thinks that the election um, was fraudulent. That's an impossible situation. You can't have that. Something needs to be done to quell that thought, concern, and angst. Otherwise, we're in impo- we're in an impossible situation. We'll talk to Andy about it. Thanks, John. Safe driving. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. It's a delight to have our good friend Andy Biggs with us, uh, chairman of the House Freedom Caucus, representing Arizona's 5th Congressional District and so many others throughout the country. Andy, how are you, sir? I'm good. I hope you are as well. Uh, Yeah, good, tired, energized, uh, a little angry, a little optimistic, uh, a little really the gamut of all the emotions. And you've been firing on a ton of pins yourself, sir, haven't you? Well, we're trying not to let anything pass us by. Good. Good. <laughs> That's the way to say that. Good. I just had a caller before you, uh, before you up in um, Peoria, um, who knew you were coming on, and he asked me to just throw your way. This is just whatever you want to say, but he asked for your thoughts on this. He said, um, you know, watching that Homeland Security meeting in the Senate yesterday, the kinds of things Johnson and Hawley and uh, Rand Paul were giving voice to, you step back and you think, you know, Whatever party you are, some 35 to 40 percent of Americans think there were massive problems with this election any, from irregularity to fraud, regardless of your party. You, you, you can't go forward with 40 percent of the country thinking that um, forever or having those thoughts even now. It's, it's some, something's got to change here, either more sunlight, something, right? Am I wrong? Well, you know, let's look back four years for just a quick sure. uh, remembrance. Sure. And the the Democrats, um, they did everything they possibly could to make that the Trump victory illegitimate. Yeah. And um, the difference uh, that I think we're going to find when we're all is said and done here is after spending two and a half, three years looking at it, they came back and said, well, you know, the Russians really did not interfere and have uh, influence in the election, right? Yep. They tried to, but they were unsuccessful, and the election was legitimate. But the Democrats still have never uh, agreed to legitimacy. The difference here is you have um, some very concrete... By the way, that was all based on one um, whistleblower that we nobody knew who it was, right? right? And right. we never even got to interview him. Right. This thing is... Uh, there's over 500 affidavits... There's uh, dozens upon dozens of eyewitnesses who have come forward and under sworn testimony, uh, borne their testimony of what they saw. And then you have uh, experts uh, analyzing as well, publicly willing to put their careers at risk to come forward and say there was a problem. 
we've got to get to the bottom of this, Seth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You have to get to the bottom of this, um, and we can't keep whipsawing back and forth. Well said. Well said. I've been wrong about a lot this year. One of the things I was really wrong about, Andy, <clears throat> was I thought that the COVID fright would be over November 4th, regardless of the election outcome. And I'm just shocked to see the doubling down, whether it's Andrew Cuomo, whether it's others, um, the newspapers, the media, my gosh, um, it's as if it were worse than ever. Uh, The masking, uh, the religion of masking, where there's already 94 percent compliance in the cities with the worst outbreaks. Uh, When will we be rid of this meddlesome priest, Andy? I, I saw a doctor on MSNBC yesterday saying, even if you get the vaccine, don't go anywhere. You can still get infected and die. I, I, they're they're going to keep going with this as much as they can, aren't they? Well, yeah, and it's it's it it moves it out of the realm of public health to um, public control. Yep. And and the way I look at it is, you have a ninety nine point nine percent survival rate. Yeah. Of this. Yep. And uh, we still are bent on scaring the holy. Yep. Um, Yep. You know, but Jesus out everybody yep. because simply because it gives some people greater power and greater control. And the science is emerging and it isn't just emerging. I mean, there was science ample early on uh, to rebut everything that these public health monsters were, were giving us. Mm-hmm. And uh, Americans, I, I will be the first to admit, I'm like you. I was stunned that, uh, that Americans acquiesced to this yeah. so quickly. Yeah. And so completely. And you're starting to see people fight back on it. Yeah, yeah. And, the patience is wearing and, thin, I think. The patience is wearing exactly. thin. Exactly. But we you know, we have in our own community, I interviewed him, uh, what, a week, 10 days ago, a guy who's been cited with 40 criminal complaints, and the, uh, uh, the Department of Health is trying to shut him down. And guess what? They cannot attribute one single case yeah. of COVID spread to this business. Yeah. And that's one of those things where you say, that's tyranny. Yeah. That is tyranny, and we have got to start fighting it. And, you know, there's there's voices out there. I try to be one of those voices. You try to be one of those you're, voices. You're great at it. You've been, you've been fabulous, Andy. It was great to find so many Thank allies you. on this of common sense. You know, when this thing started, you probably felt like me. You weren't kind of maybe sure of where everyone was going to lie on this. And there's some right-left crossover, you know, um, on, on these things, too. Yeah. But it does come down to common sense. In Arizona, um, your former body, the state legislature, they're introducing some some text, aren't they, on declarations. What Are you up on that a little bit? Yes, the emergency declaration yeah. mm-hmm. uh, rescission. Yeah, yeah uh, Michelle Gentry Rita, I, I read. I actually read the bill the day she that that it was made known. Uh, as soon as I heard about it, I read it. Uh, uh, well done. I mean, uh, you know that it needs to be um, totally um, repealed. Uh, the, there was far too much authority given to the governor, and then I, I truly believe that the that the governor actually exceeded the bounds of the authority that the way I read the statute hmm. as they constructed it. And uh, I, I am grateful. I'm grateful that somebody has now um, introduced that. It's it's an early introduction, so hopefully they'll take it up quickly uh, come uh, 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 January. At least to have a debate about some of this stuff, I think, right? Um, right. Oh, absolutely. I, I mean, that that's what's been missing is a debate. You know, you own a business— 
a small business, it's a restaurant, maybe it's something else, a gym, you name it, and, and you had no say on anything here. You had no say. You had to rely on talk radio hosts and people like you and Alex Berenson. Basically, that was it to bring some common yeah. sense to the world of this. And um, the consequences of what we've done, whether it's to the school children, um, whether it's to those in recovery, whether it is the, whether it's those who are subject or or or, or um, you know a potential substance abuse users, the mental health recovering community, Andy, I think we're going to be dealing with this for a lot longer than we're going to be dealing with COVID. I think the response to COVID is going to have much longer lasting impact than the COVID disease uh, virus itself. Uh, I agree with you. I think this is generational. I, I mean, this the, the notion of masks, and I and and I know you get this. It is so unnatural mm-hmm. it uh, is. to wear masks. Yeah. It's in in a in a free society. It's very alienating. Yep. And um, you know, it, it's everything from cognitive delay that it will cause to y- young people, yep. little kids, and, yep. uh, all the way up to the emotional. Um, uh, uh, discord that, that somebody will have you know i'm walking down uh, halls in the congress and i see people and that i've known for quite a long time and they've got a mask on i'm like is that so-and-so i can't really tell yeah, you know yeah, yeah, gotta, yeah. gotta get up there yep. and it's it's embarrassing to do that and, and and moreover i think it's 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 really hurt the notion of we as a free people uh have to take our own uh, 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 risks and reap the rewards and consequences of those choices we make. And a healthy and strong people. I'd like to think of our country that way. We are not a sick society, and we're just instantiating that we should be in fear and panic and sick with that thing. Andy, God yeah. love you. Uh, just in case, and I don't talk to you before then, you and your family, a very Merry Christmas. Same. same. Thank you. Thank you, Andy. Welcome back, 602-508-0960. Tom Cruise got a lot of attention uh, over the last 24 hours for his outburst on a movie set, um, excoriating his the people working on the set and staff for not complying um, with the regulations to his satisfaction. And um, it, I, I was just reading someone else from Hollywood, maybe someone even more accomplished, and that's David Mamet. I don't know if that name is as familiar as Tom Cruise's, but I think he's more accomplished. He's a Pulitzer Prize uh, winning uh, playwright. He did Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. Uh, he wrote The Verdict, The Untouchables, Hoffa, Wag the Dog, Hannibal, a tremendously accomplished uh, writer, um, screenwriter, and playwright. And he was a, he's writing a book, actually, um, called The Journal of the Plague Year. He's writing a book about covid um, he says, what we're seeing is a populace that's gone nuts, that's gone nuts. And I fear the West is committing suicide. What we're doing to commit suicide is beginning with the forgetting of what the Constitution means. Basically, we human beings have the capacity to be sheep. If we don't believe in God and if we don't believe in our country, we're going to believe in anything that comes along. And by the time we look around, I fear it's too late. Um, David Mamet, uh, smart guy. Maybe these comments, maybe his comments. He had an op-ed on this in the Wall Street Journal as well a couple weeks ago. Maybe his comments should be a little more seriously taken than Tom Cruise's. I get that Tom Cruise is more famous. I don't know that he's more accomplished if we're looking for direction 
from Hollywood. I also think Mr. Mammon, a lot more articulate than what Tom Cruise did yesterday. Um, I like I like what Mamet wrote in his Wall Street Journal. Maybe Andrew Cuomo can pay attention. A friend owns a restaurant. He's going broke. He had seating outside, but winter approaches and heaters are back ordered until next spring. He's holding on. One is permitted to sit at his tables and eat without a mask. Indeed, how would one eat while wearing one? Does the virus know that he is sitting down? My friend greeted two regular customers the other night and sat at their table to chat. He took off his mask to do so. The customer informed him that the rules are that restaurant workers are required by law to wear masks at all time. The owner put his mask on and rose. But does the virus know he's an employee of the restaurant while the customers are not? With whom would he argue being an employee and a proprietor? And a proprietor with the virus? All right, I want to talk to you about what's going on in our education system with critical race theory when we come back, and we've got one of the nation's great experts on it. Don't go away. We'll be right back.